The Murders and Mysteries podcast series brought to you by the Grand Island Independent. Check out special subscription offers at our website, theindependent.com slash sign up for more information. Welcome to the Grand Island Independent podcast series, Murders and Mysteries. In this six-episode series, we will hear about Nebraska's first serial killer, learn about a Grand Island man that shot and killed his wife, then took his daughter to a dance right after. We also hear about three area bank robberies, none that were solved, and an almost 50-year-old triple murder that has people baffled five decades later. In this series, I will visit with area historical experts and hear in-depth details about these crimes, how they happened, and the details of each account. This is Murders and Mysteries. Welcome to episode one of Murders and Mysteries podcast series from the Grand Island Independent. I am your host, Josh Salmon. In this episode, we will begin with a triple murder mystery that took place nearly 50 years ago. Three members of the Bill Peak family in Grand Island were murdered in their home on September 9th, 1972. Joining me in the studio today is Jim Dean from the Hall County Historical Society. So Jim, let's set the scene here. Some relatives of the Peak family had come to visit and got a very unpleasant surprise when they arrived at the home of Bill and Barbara Peak. Uh, taking us back to uh, September 9th, 1972, it was a triple slaying of a father, Bill, a wife, Bernice, and a daughter, Barbara. And so kind of set the scene for us uh, what happened They uh, there in their house. And I think the, the in-laws came over to watch a football game or something, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. The uh, Huskers had just opened their season after their championship season. And they were out in UCLA, and they lost on a field goal. Uh, pretty much the end of the game. We've seen a lot of that since then, but Mm -hmm. kind of unknown at that time. But it was customary, apparently, for uh, Bernice Peak, Bernice Allen Peak, to have her parents, Ron and Emma, come over and watch the Bob Devaney show, which used to be on at 10.30 after the game, so Sunday night. And unlike the ones you see now, it was live back in those days, so it was a pretty good show. Yeah. And they came into the house and sat down and just figured the... Make themselves at home? And, yeah, at the peaks. You know, they made themselves at home, exactly. Right. Figuring that the peaks were out running a quick errand or something. And uh, the peaks had a dog, a dog named Meridoc. Huh. And the dog kept going berserk. And they, you know, just kept ignoring it and telling it to be quiet. And finally, uh, her dad got up and followed the dog. And the dog took him into the bedroom, the master bedroom, and he found uh, his son-in-law, Bill, dead on the floor, his daughter, Bernice, mortally wounded, kind of draped over his body, and then his granddaughter, Barbara, was uh, over in the corner. She'd been shot twice and was dead. And uh, as you imagine it, it was a horrible scene. This house was uh, pretty much brand new out in the Hidden Lake neighborhood, and the all-white carpet. Jeez. And if you envision that, a house with all-white carpet, blood everywhere, dog barking, uh, and finding your daughter that way, it has to be pretty horrific. Right, and it was a pretty nice area. Very nice. Yeah. It was uh, just really being developed at that time. The Peaks had just come back to Grand Island, 
after the end of his uh, military career, a rather distinguished military career, I might add, uh -huh. which uh, included some major assignments in Europe and uh, also some uh, pretty involved intelligence work with the with the Russians at that time. So so Bill was dead. The daughter, Barbara, who was 14 or 15, she was, she was dead. But uh, Bernice was alive, but not doing well. Not doing well at all. And uh, they took her to the hospital. Uh, they had hopes that she would survive. Uh, she ended up in the hospital in Lincoln uh, with a couple of law enforcement types sitting by her bedside, sort of hanging on every gasp and sure. word and hoping that they would get a clue because she was the only living witness that they knew of. Um, she had some complications. Uh, they were somewhat critical of the medical care at the time. And she ended up uh, going up to Mayo, but it was all for naught. She died without uh, ever having shed any light on what happened there. Yeah, it was almost exactly two months later. It was like, uh, yeah, I November think, November 8th. 8th. Uh -huh. Yeah, so almost, yeah. almost to the day. That she died. Uh, and the weird thing about this is, <clears throat> this might not have happened. They had a friend named Tammy, uh, Tammy Reynolds, who was supposed to spend the night Saturday at the Peaks. Uh, she might have, you know, she might have gotten killed too, but the Peaks were also invited to a party right. of a friend of theirs, and they declined the invitation for that yeah, night. Yeah, they, uh, Bernice had a classmate who had a cabin up on, I think, the Platte River near uh, South Bend. Uh-huh. And they'd been invited up for the weekend, but Bernice didn't feel well. I didn't feel like going. So it was kind of a, a fate thing. And uh, the the neighbor girl, uh, Tammy, she, you know, had a last-minute call that kept her from coming. She had a relative say, hey, can you come babysit for me tonight? And, you know, she was disappointed probably not to go out right. with a friend that sure. she'd spent the whole summer with. But... You know, duty calls, so she went. She went over the next day with her grandparents to pick up Barbara to go to lunch. Oh, wow. Knocked and knocked. Again, the dog's going berserk, but, you know, she didn't think anything about it. Yeah. You know, just the dog was there, nobody home, and she thought, well, some kind of miscommunication will catch up. And, of course, when she found right. out why there was no answer, she was pretty shook. So do they think that the, the bodies were laying there for a, a day or so before the in-laws came over? or did, is, is there any idea what I, the timeline was? I, I don't think there was ever an exact timeline. Uh -huh. uh, I, I believe the best they could pin it down. And, you know, science wasn't then what it is now. Right. But the best timeline, I think, was uh, before midnight or sometime early on Sunday morning. Coming back. Why did the Peak family die, and how? Does anyone know? When Murders and Mysteries continues. At the Grand Island Independent, our award-winning staff provides the best in news, sports, and photography. Your trusted source since 1870 is the Grand Island Independent. Special subscription offers are available. Visit theindependent.com slash signup for more information. Welcome back to episode one of Murders and Mysteries podcast series from the Grand Island Independent. I'm Josh Salmon with Jim Dean of the Hall County Historical Society. Jim, we have been discussing the triple killing of Bill Peake's family on or around September 9th, 1972. Here almost 50 years later, this case is still unsolved. What was some of the speculation at the time of the crime? Uh, once 
Bernice died. I mean, and even when she was in the hospital, she wasn't very coherent. She really couldn't say much. She could scribble. She recognized relatives, apparently, but she really it was was not much use as a witness. Right. No, there was uh, nothing to be had there. The uh, the only sort of little snippet of things they had to go on was that a couple of guys had been seen in a large blue Chevrolet, maybe an Impala, maybe a Bel Air. Right. Uh, about a '68 model. Some longer-haired guys, which yeah. 1972 narrowed yeah. that down. And, you know, that, you know? <laughs> they wouldn't have been the kind of guys to frequent that area for any good reason. Right. I mean, that was a, you know, super upper class right. at the time. Kind of a ritzy and, or whatever, yeah. Uh, so, but nothing came of that. They arrested the guys eventually out in Wyoming somewhere, and they brought them back. And, I don't know, they ended up on drug charges, but... There was no apparent involvement that they could discern between right. the peak deaths and these two guys. Interesting. So there's some speculation of why they died, and to this day there's still speculation. But some people thought maybe it was somebody in the military that he did wrong, you know, that came back and got him. Yeah. Uh, some people thought maybe a peeping Tom caught in the act, but, you know, they don't carry weapons, as you wrote. Um, drug case, you know, crazed killer. Or they also thought maybe murder-suicide. There's just a lot of things just being right. that were thrown around and really no answer. Yeah, the murder-suicide was pushed pretty hard at first, and uh, the Allens pushed back real hard on that. They, they would have, you know, really no discussion about that, and there was no indication of it. Uh, part of what made them think it wasn't was the way the scene was. Barbara, the daughter, was kind of off away from the bodies. Uh, the wife was draped over her husband who was lying on the floor. There was a cigarette on the floor. Hmm. There was a body. Underneath his body was his cigarette lighter. So you wouldn't you wouldn't be lighting a cigarette in the middle of killing somebody. Right. And it would appear, just from common sense, that if you were lighting a cigarette when you got shot, that you know you were maybe comfortable around the person. So it was sort of. Uh, just a kind of a dead end in every way you wanted to go. Uh, Probably no signs of forced entry or anything. No, nothing, not huh. a thing. Uh, one other possibility uh, at the time there was uh, it was reputed to be like a prostitution ring, and there was some speculation that the Peaks, being you know pretty much moral upstanding folks, that they might be blowing the whistle on this. Okay, and that that might have been why they died. There was a woman who had some involvement with this who was uh, found dead in a questionable car accident uh, out on uh, Gun Barrel Road as well, and that was in that same time frame. Sure. So that might have been a possibility. And when I spoke with Georgine about four or five years ago, there was a troubled young fellow whose parents had a store here in town, and according to what she had heard, this fellow told a friend that he had something terrible that he had done and he wanted to talk about it. Hmm. But before they ever talked again, that troubled young guy killed himself. And Georgine, I think, thought that was the guy. Possibly right. the guy who did it. Sure. And he had some, I guess, history of instability or who knows what. Yeah. She, and maybe he knew who did it. You know, yeah, one of those exactly. things. Exactly. Yeah. You never know. That's a weird thing. So then uh, you're talking about Bob Allen and Georgine, uh, very well-known people in Grand Allen and Hastings with the Allen Superstore and, and uh, Allen Drive named after him. And, and uh, that was uh, Bernice's brother and sister-in-law. 
And so they pursued this until the day Bob died. And, and I mean, for years, twenty uh, two decades, he, he went on to try to find his killer, and they never really could. Yeah, exactly. Bob, uh, at the time, put up a $10,000 reward, which if uh, you do some quick math, that's uh, somewhere north of $60,000 today. Right. So it wasn't a small amount of money by sure. any stretch. Uh, he, he was friends with Jim Exxon, uh, who was the governor at the time, later a, a U.S. senator. Uh, he lobbied Lex- Exxon really hard to try to, you know, get some help investigating this. Uh, he lobbied two other governors. Uh, you know, he just, he was pretty much relentless about it. Sure. Uh, and in the late 90s, I, guess, I think it would have been the maybe the 25th anniversary of the killings, uh, there was a story written in The Independent, and uh, Allen was not appreciative of it, and he wrote... Uh, a voluminous letter just tearing the story apart wow. on the facts and you know speculations and so he was uh, a super crusader yeah about this for whole his sister situation. yeah and but again it all went for naught uh when i spoke to georgine i asked her you know if there was anything active still in terms of rewards or efforts and she said that no, that had really kind of died with Bob. Yeah. So, hmm. Yeah, and he passed away a few years ago, 2010 or something. Yeah, somewhere. Yeah, I believe that's. She's correct. she's still alive, but yeah, yeah that's just a, it's just an interesting. There's so much speculation with this. Oh, absolutely. With this uh, family and with this murder, you know, especially being, them being upstanding and and the way they are, and uh, you know, I mean, they were well to do, you could say, and you know, it just there's. There's so much, so many different ways. No forced entry, you know, no fingerprints. It's just, uh, just a lot of yeah. questions. It's a weird deal. Yeah. One other interesting aspect of it was uh, the in- chief investigators were a, a county attorney named Ron Griminger. Sure, very familiar. Yeah. And uh, the Hall County Sheriff at the time was Ron Headley, and Headley, as a state trooper in the decade before he was the county sheriff. Uh, had a bit of a reputation among some people as being pretty outspoken and sometimes kind of, uh, you know, maybe quick to act. Uh, you know, some people were kind of cons- fearful of him, but he was very aggressive about keeping this investigation in-house. He he didn't, you know, want outside help at first, and even though, as I recall the stories, even though he would have had, should have had good ties back right. to the state police. He was also really critical of the neighbors. The neighbors freaked out about this whole situation, obviously. That's an isolated neighborhood even today. Yeah, they hired security guards exactly. or whatever. They hired uh, security guards. And, you know, Headley thought they, you know, they were vigilantes. They had no business being out there. He says they weren't deputized. Uh, huh. he, he was kind of quick to react in the negative about uh, right. those efforts. Yeah, you saw less kids playing in the street, that kind of thing, in that neighborhood for yeah. quite a while, it sounds like, after that. Yeah. Uh, and so what part of Grand Island did this take place in, then? Where did the Peaks live, or the general well, area? the Peaks lived on uh, Pheasant Drive okay. in Hidden Lakes. Okay. And Hidden Lakes, the uh, there's a south entrance off Bismarck and an east entrance off Gun Barrel Road. Okay. And uh, houses out there today, you know, typically sell... You know, well up to a million and beyond. I think there's one out there for sale right now for about a million and a half that wow. belongs to a doctor here in a town. Ta- yeah. here in town. So right. So it's always kind of been that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, interesting. In, in fact, uh, 
the former publisher here, Don Smith, used to live in the house that was just back down Pheasant Drive from where the Peaks lived. Okay. So. Interesting. He he might have uh, heard some ghosts in the wind. Yeah, no kidding. Did they ever find any kind of weapon or anything? No. The Apparently that lake is very deep. Uh, I've heard numbers 45 feet, 60 wow. feet. Wow, okay. And so there was some speculation that it was thrown in the lake. But again, the weapon was a twenty two caliber pistol. Uh, so I mean those are really common. Yeah. You know, every you know, Everybody's. farmer probably has one right. on the seat to dispatch coyotes or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so it wouldn't be an uncommon weapon. What was questioned was if this was an execution, wouldn't the gunman have used a more effective weapon? I mean, a twenty-two is not exactly a man stopper. Well, yeah, and it took Bernice, or yeah, Bernice, a couple months to die. Yeah. So if he wanted to get him instantly, he would have got yeah. something bigger. The counter theory to that is the twenty-two used by someone who knows what they're doing is very effective. Ah. It's a low-profile weapon, and it's pretty quiet, so it wouldn't have attracted a lot of attention like a sure large caliber right. weapon. Something somebody could hear off, especially with the dog. And I wonder where the dog was at this time, too. Yeah, that, that's another thing that makes you wonder if it was somebody that knew them. Yeah. Because you don't just quiet a, a, a big dog. Right. I mean, you, know, <laughs> you don't say, shut up, Fido. Yeah, if it you're a stranger. It work that way. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Lots of, lots of interesting stuff there with the Peak family murders, and that's never really been solved. So that's Jim Dean with the Hall County Historical Society. Thanks for your time, Jim. Stay tuned next week for episode two of Murders and Mysteries podcast series from the Grand Island Independent. Next week, I visit with Michelle Setlick of the Hall County Historical Society about the murder of Alice Culbertson. She was murdered by her husband, then who then got in a car, drove with his daughter to a dance. Did he have an alibi, or did he have a witness? The story is very interesting and has many twists and turns. Join me next week. Until then, this is Josh Salmon. See you next time. Murders and Mysteries podcast series from the Grand Island Independent is copyrighted by Lee Enterprises 2022.